Good morning. We're such a small group, I feel like I should be asking you questions and we should make it interactive. <laughs> Any case, uh, what's on my heart this morning are sheep and shepherds. Sheep and shepherds. A couple weeks ago, our sister um, visited Sister Muriel Beal. She's uh, just been moved from Pilgrim Place down towards the beach where her son lives. But I visited her, and we're going over how that uh, in Luke 15, the good shepherd uh, rescued a sheep that was lost. And with joy, he was carrying it home on his shoulders. And I said, Muriel, you know, sometimes we, ha we, we need to realize that that's how the Lord's carrying us home, on his shoulders. And uh, we then went, and we're, we're talking about shepherds and sheep, and we, then we went through the 23rd Psalm. And I'd read, I'd, I had the Bible in front of me, and I, was, I read the first part of each verse, and then she would recite the last part. Okay, so the 23rd Psalm is special, and we'll be talking about that this morning. We're going to talk about the lost sheep, the good shepherd, and the great shepherd. Okay, so it's going to be Luke 15, a few verses, John 10, a few verses, and then Psalm 23, which is only six verses. It's very short. That's what we'll be talking about this morning. The lost sheep, the good shepherd, and the great shepherd. As I was thinking and preparing for this, I was thinking to myself, when have I felt most secure? Uh, you might want to think about that yourself. Most secure. Some people will say, well, I trusted Christ. I felt most secure. Well, I go all the way back to my childhood. And uh, I can remember, I, I came from a big family, but when the family, I was the oldest, so when the family was smaller, before my siblings were born, my brother and I would be in the back seat, and we'd be rumbling along in our old car. It was new then, today you look back, it's an old car. <laughs> but we're rumbling along, and I felt so totally secure in the back seat. There's my dad, he's in charge, okay, and he's driving us somewhere. And I just felt so secure in that. When I think back, when did I feel most secure? It was in the back seat of the car when Dad was driving somewhere. Well, that's, uh, we want to get to the point this morning to share, that's the kind of confidence and trust that Jesus provides as being our great shepherd. And with God's help, that's where we're going this morning. So I want to start in Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15, that's the three lost, the lost sheep, the lost coins, to just the, and the lost son. But we're going to talk about the first, the lost sheep, in Luke chapter 15. I'll start with verse 1 of Luke chapter 15. Then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes complained, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he spoke this parable to them, saying, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And that was the, that's a precious truth. 
when he, he found us, from that point on, he's carrying us on his shoulders, you see. Uh, many of us uh, see some green grass over there, and we struggle to get off his shoulders and get over to what we think is green grass. But he's carrying us home, okay? And he has uh, other things in store for us, and we'll get to that. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. We came to Christ, those of us who know the Lord Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior, as uh, helpless sheep seeking uh, some measure of security. It might have been for eternity, it might be for help in our present situation. It might be because of guilt of things we've done in the past. We needed a savior. We needed save, being saved from the penalty of sin and we wanted power for the, uh, to, to deal with the present sin in our lives and perhaps to be at peace because we will be eventually out of the presence of sin when we're, we're in heaven. So one of those three reasons might have brought us to Christ. But we came as lost sheep, so to speak. And that's the picture Jesus paints for us here. Now his point in this parable is to point out to the Pharisees, and not to talk about sheep and everything, but the point is of all these, there is joy in heaven when someone repents. That's how God receives sinners. And uh, when somebody's done something bad towards us, how do we receive them when we've forgiven them? We might put them in the back seat. Well, Jesus brings us and puts us in the front seat and rejoices over us. There's been repentance in our heart. He's talking about lost things. Uh, Spurgeon points out when he is looking for that one lost sheep, the shepherd pursues a route which he would never think of pursuing if it were only for his own pleasure. His way is not selected for his own ends, but for the sake of the stray sheep. I uh, Think of that, here's Jesus in heaven with the authority to say, uh, solar system, be created. Sun, be created. Constellation, be created. And by the word of his power, these things came to be. That's his power. Uh, and so he's able to speak with angels. And with, with his father, he can, he, can, he can actually speak to them in their language. And they understand him. And then he comes to this earth. Would he choose to come here? Well, not necessarily. Uh, all of a sudden, he's with human beings and the sin and the evil of the world. Uh, yet he didn't come to please himself. He came because he was seeking us. And so his first effort in giving is just to come to this world and be born as a baby in a manger. Uh, but from then on, he's giving his life for what? for his own glory? Well, eventually, but right now, he's, he's, he's seeking sinners who repent that he might have them for himself. And then the glory will come. But that he came and went through the suffering just to lay the groundwork so we can be saved, to pay the price at the cross and be risen again from the dead. But he, he wouldn't normally have come except in our need. So that shows you the nature of God I don't think we have this hymn in our hymn book, but there is a hymn called The Ninety and Nine, which I'm sure most of you know. Uh, I don't know if you know the history of it, but there was a lady whose name was Elizabeth Clefane, who lived in England. She had a brother, George. George Clefane, when he was about 20, uh, he immigrated to Canada to try farming. 
people sent him money to stay away. He was called a remittance man. A remittance man in Canada was a person people in England would send money to basically saying, don't come back, stay there. And this, he was a remittance man and he tried farming and he failed. And he got into drinking. And Elizabeth knew about his situation and it touched her heart and she penned this poem, the 99. And just two of the verses, uh, there were 99 who safely lay in the shelter of the fold, but one was out on the hills away, far off from the gates of gold. She's thinking of her brother. Away from the, on the mountains, wild and bare, away from the tender shepherd's care, away from the tender shepherd's care. Then there's this verse, but none of the ransomed ever knew how deep were the waters crossed, nor how dark was the night that the Lord passed through ere he found his sheep that was lost. Out in the desert he heard its cry, sick and helpless and ready to die. Sick and helpless and ready to die. He carries the sheep home on his shoulders and that's the position we are now, you and I. It's interesting that he's carrying the sheep home on his shoulders. So we don't know that, uh, we, we try to enter in on, on the Lord's day at the breaking of bread, the, the path he took to save us. And uh, it's only by the spirit of God that leads us to appreciate his love and the agony of the cross, the shame of it, but his purpose because he loved us. He died for our sins, that's his purpose. But it takes the Holy Spirit to bring this out. So it's hard to enter into that uh, the, the, the meaning of the cross, but it's, it's, and what he went through, how deep were the waters crossed, how dark was the night that the Lord passed through ere he found his sheep that was lost. And we're on his shoulders. I don't know if you recall in the Old Testament, Exodus chapter 28, but uh, Moses is dressing his brother Aaron as the high priest. And he has two garments that are very, very interesting. An ephod, like a vest that goes down his legs a little bit. But he carries, um, what would you say, not rocks, but stones, okay, on his shoulders. And each stone has four, six names on it. Six of the tribes of Israel, six of the tribes of Israel, okay, on the ephod. And that kind of is, speaks to what Jesus is doing now on our behalf. He's carrying us before the throne of God on our behalf. That's sort of the meaning of the ephod with the stones on his shoulder. But he also has stones on his chest, on his breastplate. He has 12 of those. Each one has a different name. Each of the names of the children of Israel. It's close to his heart. And that again reminds us that we are close to the heart of the Lord Jesus Christ. Nothing occurs in our life that is to destroy us and might be to test us, but not to destroy us. Okay, those are the kinds of things that uh, would, he, he has heart, he, he can be touched by the feelings of our infirmities. That's what that verse means. He has heart for our needs. That's our Lord Jesus Christ. And now he's carrying us home on his shoulder. He's carrying us just as the high priest carried all the tribes of Israel before God in the holy place. He's carrying us home on his shoulders. And he comes home and he says, uh, calls everybody together, rejoice for me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say to you that likewise, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents 
than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. Our young brother uh, Desmond gave a hymn out this morning, hymn number 10, written by Robert Robinson. Uh, he had his ups and downs as a believer. And the last verse of that hymn, verse 10, I don't know if you remember it, it was, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. I had a sister in Christ who once told me that was her favorite hymn because that was what she felt in her heart. She was like a sheep that kept wanting to wander away from the God she loves. And she was serving the Lord in everything she was doing, but her heart wandered. And uh, so that hymn was precious. Thank you, Desmond. I appreciate that hymn. Um, but let's go over to the shepherd now. So here's, the, we talked about the lost sheep. John 10 is the shepherd, the good shepherd. We'll just read a few verses in John chapter 10. John chapter 10 and verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. But a hireling who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he is a hireling and does not care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep and am known by my own. Now, a shepherd, Jesus is identifying himself as a shepherd. I don't know if you remember in the Old Testament, uh, Joseph brings his family, uh, he's going to bring his family before Pharaoh, and they're going to give him some land, in the land of Goshen. Uh, he says, don't tell them you're shepherds. Egyptians despise shepherds. So it's probably the lowest level of society to be a shepherd. And Moses, of course, uh, became a shepherd himself. Uh, lowest point in society. I don't know if you remember this, we're talking about it on our Wednesday night, but the, uh, Samuel is there, and he wants to interview Jesse, David's father, and find out who of them the Lord was going to choose to be the next king. He kind of, re uh, God had rejected Saul, but he's going to anoint ahead of time a king that God wants. So he brings all the the tall, big, handsome brothers. And then Samuel says, none of these. Don't look on the outward appearance. Look upon the heart. And so he brings all these before Samuel, but Jesse does. And Samuel says, don't you have one other? He says, yeah, well, you have a son. He's a shepherd. You know, at the lowest level of society. He's just a kid, and he's out taking care of the sheep. Well, Jesus, isn't that interesting? It was not an honored level of society. But look. At Bethlehem, who came? Or who did the angels appear to? Shepherds. Now, isn't that interesting? But here Jesus says, I'm a good shepherd. And so the people knew what shepherds were. They didn't have much respect for them, but they knew who they were. He says, I am the good shepherd. He makes a contrast. And again, just as he was talking to the Pharisees before and the sinners, he's going to basically say there's two types of people who take care of sheep. There's those who own the sheep. They, they're known by them. And that's, that, that would be the, sh the shepherd who would be willing to do whatever he could. I don't know how often you had to give your life for the sheep, although you know David uh, beat the bear and the lion you know, to save the sheep. He's willing to risk his life. I don't know how many shepherds gave their life for the sheep, 
But Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. And the Greek word for good is, I'm intrinsically good. Inwardly, outwardly, I'm good. Uh, one uh, commentator says, uh, describes that which is noble, wholesome, good, and beautiful in contrast to that which is wicked, mean, foul, and unlovely. Uh, good inward character and good attractive outward. That's the meaning of good. So Jesus is the good shepherd, not a good shepherd, but the good shepherd. That's what my, verse, my Bible says in verse 11. I am the good shepherd, and you might make that bold. What I do sometimes, if there's a phrase or a word that I think I want to jump out. I take a ballpoint pen and write over that word. And you should jump out, you should jump out. You should write over that word, the good shepherd, okay? And make it bold. He's the good shepherd. He's the one we go to. And later when we get into Psalm 23, we'll talk about the great shepherd. He's a great shepherd. Spurgeon points out he is giving his life still. The life that is in the man Christ Jesus, he is always giving for us. It is for us he lives, and because he lives, we live also. He lives to plead for us. He lives to represent us in heaven. He lives to rule providence for us. So he's still giving his life. And then he's making this contrast between the hireling and the, who, the person who owns the sheep. What kind of a shepherd would he be? Well, he'd really be careful. Uh, the hireling will run. What's on my mind right now is, the, so the, the, I guess Jesus is pointing out to the Pharisees, you're probably the type of people, you're in it for the money. Okay, you're in it for the prestige in society. That's why you're uh, preaching to all the, 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 the people of Israel, because you're in it for the money. Uh, it's your income. Uh, it's, your, it's your purpose of your life to get honor in your life. But he's saying that shepherd's sheep is a different, different level of purpose. You're doing it because you love the sheep. And what I was, what we often hear about elders being under shepherds. Actually, there are various gifts in the assembly. Uh, in Ephesians, there are gifted men Christ gives to the assembly. And a gifted man, uh, Ephesians goes into apostles and uh, workers of miracles, I think. Uh, but the last three are the most important today. And that is one is being a pastor, one's being a teacher, one's being an evangelist. These are gifted men. An assembly is blessed if it has a pastor, an evangelist, and a teacher uh, that God has given them. And praise the Lord, we have that. I thank God for our elders every day. But there are others in the assembly who are gifted with similar gifts, you see. Uh, I think assemblies today are crying out for the gift of pastoring. Yeah, we have lots of teachers. We have lots of evangelists, especially in this assembly. Uh, Brother Dave uh, Dixon is, is gifted in, in child evangelism. He is gifted, okay? He's a gift to this assembly. And there are other young, young men coming along the same way, and some who are gifted to teach. Uh, open the word of God and explain to us really what that verse means. Well, praise God for them too. But the gift of pastoring is a different type of gift. You can be a great teacher with no other gift. And it can be so cold. 
just plain teaching. Or you can have the gift of evangelism, turn the place into a mission, a street mission. But it's, you're, you're missing something because you don't have the warmth you need in a, in a biblical church. The warmth comes, I believe, and it's only my opinion, so you can, you know, if you don't like it, that's okay. <laughs> the, the warmth comes from pastoring. That is, being able to sense people have needs and want to lead them into green pastures, waters of quietness, waters of stillness. And there are other gifts that will, t the directions that a shepherd will take them, but that's shepherding, it's different from the other two gifts. All three of these are gifts that God gives men and women in assemblies. Women need pastoring too. And maybe that's your gift, I don't know. Uh, but it's between you and the Lord. Uh, in a typical church, you have one uh, Reverend Smith, okay, whoever he might be. Uh, he's called a pastor. And online they did a survey. What does it take to be a perfect pastor? And the response is so funny. Okay, here's, here's what it says online. If, if you want to go to a church with a perfect pastor, this is the way it goes. They preach for exactly 12 minutes. They are 28 years of age, but have been preaching for 30 years. They work from 8 a.m. until midnight every day, but are also the caretaker of the church. They frequently condemn sin, but never upset anybody. This is the perfect church pastor. They wear good clothes, buy good books, drive a good car, give generously to the poor, and have a low salary. They make 15 daily calls to parish families, visit the housebound and the hospitalized, spend all their time evangelizing the unchurched, and are always in the office when they are needed. Sometimes things it's hard to get, they don't fit, do they? Last one, they're also very good looking. That was in the survey. So this is a, uh, but an under shepherd, I believe, is a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ and is sensitive to people's needs and it brings warmth to something. We need all these gifts, you see. We need teaching, we need evangelism, we need pastoring. But like I, I say, I think pastoring is a gift that I encourage all you guys, you ladies, if you have the gift, use it. And he says, I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep, and am known by my own. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And he points out in verse 16 something interesting. Other sheep I have which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice, and there will be, there will be one flock and one shepherd. Now there's difference between a fold and a flock. And of course the Roman Catholic Church believes they are the flock, okay, the, the fold. What Jesus is pointing out here is, here's a fold. It has a fence around it. Uh, it can be any shape. Uh, the fence around a, a fold, no, no real center to it, because it could be any shape, but it's fenced in. So there's the Jews, okay, fenced in. Nobody can get in, nobody can get out. That's the Jews. Uh, that's a fold. And Jesus says, I have sheep of another fold, and that would be the Gentiles, right? That's what he's trying to get across. And I'm going to make it so there's one flock. There's not going to be any more fence, and I'm going to be in the center. That's what he's saying there. 
There's going to be one flock and one shepherd right in the center. So that's his place in the center of all of us who trust in him. Let's go over to the great shepherd, Psalm 23. One brother has said this, millions of people have memorized this psalm, even those who have learned few other scripture portions. Ministers have used it to comfort people who are going through severe personal trials, suffering illness or dying. For some, the words of this psalm have been the last they have ever uttered in life. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The Living Bible says, because the Lord is my shepherd, I have everything I need. New International Version, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He feeds, guides, and shields me. This is what Spurgeon says, the Lord is my shepherd. If he be a shepherd to no one else, he is a shepherd to me. He cares for me, watches over me, and preserves me. Another person has said this, I, have, I shall be supplied with whatever I need, and if I have not everything I desire, I may conclude it is either not fit for me or not good for me, or I'll have it in due time. That's the way God answers prayer. See, if everything I shall not want is referring to our needs, you know, we have a lot of desires. I don't know about you. I have this desire, that desire, and you pray for it. It doesn't happen yet, you know. And what happened to Psalm 23, verse 1? Well, the point is, all my needs are met. I praise God for that. And that's the shepherd's role. The next verse, he makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. Now he's leading these sheep through the wilderness. That's the picture that... David is painting here. David wrote this in his old age. Okay, he'd been a shepherd when he was a kid. Now he's the king and an old king, and he writes down what he feels now about how God has been towards him. And he's saying this, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He remembers doing that with his sheep. Uh, he's, he's thinking back now. Uh, what it was like to be a shepherd. And, you know, they're, they're moving through a wilderness. It's a, it's a picture of calmness. And that's the Lord's picture. Uh, somebody in New Sheep said this, it, it won't lie down if it is afraid, if there's friction among the sheep, if there's flies and pestilence, or anxiety about food. The shepherd has to deal with these things. He's bringing them to a place uh, where, where they can quietly eat. And there's calmness here. And that's why the psalmist said, I love the way it starts out. Uh, Betty was sharing with me that the way that second verse reads to her is that sometimes he makes me to lie down in green pastures. Uh, I want to keep going. I'm hungry. But, and, uh, you know, I can put off any kind of rest, and maybe you experienced that yourself. But the whole point is 
He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He knows when we have needs and can meet our needs. And the good shepherd, the, the great shepherd will do that. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. And it's a picture of calmness. Verse 3, he restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Another word for restore is he refreshes my soul. Uh, You know, that's what happened when we came to Christ. uh, In 2 Corinthians 5 and 17, that's one of my favorite verses. Therefore, whoever is in Christ is a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. And we're, spiritually, we're born again when we come to Christ. And there are times even now that we're believers, there are times that we need spiritual refreshment. We need to be refreshed. He restores my soul. It may be that we were wandering as sheep, okay, prone to wander. Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. And through someone's kind words, someone's actions, uh, the spirit working within our hearts, we're brought back to a local church where we can find refreshment and, and restoral. And that's what David is saying here. He restores my soul. He refreshes my soul. And he leads me in the paths of righteousness. That's a straight and narrow path. Uh, those of you who are familiar with Pilgrim's Progress, he leaves uh, the interpreter's house, and he asks, which way should I go? And he says, well, there's a path. It's straight, as straight as can be. Okay, and that's the way he's leading us, in paths of righteousness. And uh, well, sometimes we want to go this way. Sometimes we want to go that way. Uh, it's, it meets uh, our, our body's you know, uh, fleshly needs more than uh, following him and his word in the straight and narrow. Uh, but that's his way. That's the paths of righteousness. For whose sake? That we get glorified? No, for his name's sake. He'll be honored when we walk in his paths, the straight and narrow. So he's going to be honored if we follow him. Just to share this, the Living Bible in verse 2 and 3 says, He lets me rest in the meadow grass. I love the Living Bible. You know, I get to a confusing part of the Bible. I go to the Living Bible, right? He lets me rest in the meadow grass and leads me beside the quiet streams. He gives me new strength. He helps me do what honors him the most. That's perfect. That's right on. He helps me do what honors him the most. He gives me new strength. He makes me new again. He's a guide. and He's going to display the glory of his grace uh, through us. The next verse is verse 4. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Going back to sheep again, sheep are fearful of a dark place. And there are sometimes in our lives we go through dark places. And it might be a, you know, an experience where we're, we're afraid of dying, okay? Uh, he, but he, in that course of that, we will fear no evil. That's what he's saying here. Uh, but there's other, uh, it's just the opposite of green pastures and still waters. 
One person has said, it's a valley hedged in and surrounded, not a mountaintop. One that we're passing through, it's not our destination. But in the midst of that trial or that experience of going through the valley of the shadow of death, we fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now, a rod is a weapon they would, he would wear, the shepherd would wear in his, on, his, on his waist, okay? That would be uh, something to blood, like David, when he, he said he beat the lion and the bear. What did he use? Probably his rod. Okay, he beat them to death. Uh, the, the, the rod, uh, the, the, the staff is, is the extension of his arm to kind of steer them in the right direction, okay? That would be his staff. But he has a weapon and a way to extend himself out to, to reach us in our needs. You prepare it, no, let's finish this. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I can go through this shadow of death with no fear because you're going to protect me. And of course the onslaught is, I think if you're older, for example, and you're going through a trial like this, the danger is you become fearful. Um, we knew a sister in Christ at one time who was, she, and her, she was a widow, but she and her husband were so active in youth work and uh, Sunday school, and she didn't think she had enough safe faith to be saved. And we took her to the meeting each week, but I felt so sorry for that lady. She was fearful. She was fearful she didn't have enough faith. And all it took was the faith of the grain of a, the person, the person you're trusting in, you see. That's the faith that saves. It's not the degree of it, but it's who you're trusting in. And yet you have to say to yourself, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. Remember Davy Dixon preaching that one time where that, that hymn came from. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. And this woman now is so fearful. That's a dreadful place to be spiritually. And David could say, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And verse 5 is beautiful. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Uh, there's different interpretations of this table. The people from the, far east, from the Middle East will say, well, actually, it's a setup. It's really a small table. It has food for the sheep to come and eat it. That's one interpretation. Another interpretation is that there's a mesa here with, where they can feed, and the, the shepherd has gone in ahead of time to get rid of the poisonous plants and to make it comfortable to sheep. So that's a table, okay, in Spanish, mesa, a table. That's the way they look at that verse. In any case, there could be enemies around, but he's preparing a feast and we can enjoy it. Uh, it's wonderful to enjoy that in this life, to realize the Lord has provided everything I need before me. And he's doing it, I could have enemies around. Uh, I don't think any of us are living in a situation where we have enemies all around us, but who knows. But he's prepared a place for us that we can feast on him. You anoint my head with oil. Uh, most commentators believe that oil uh, is uh, it's, it's an ointment you put on a sheep. I guess the, the British have a way, another word to describe that. Uh, backliner. Australians probably too use the same word. 
had us externally provide medicine applied along the back line of a freshly shorn sheep to control lice or other parasites. The oil is poured on wounds and repels flies. So it brings comfort, okay? The oil brings comfort to the, to the sheep, a part of the protection that the, uh, the shepherd is giving in his tender love towards the sheep. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. We all have a, a, a cup could be a measure of God's blessings on us. Uh, each day uh, we have a, a cup of blessing and it could be full. And, you know, it's good to share it. If you have a cup that's overflowing, why not share it with somebody, a brother or sister who has less in their cup? Share it with them. If you're getting blessed, share others, right? That's, that's the point. God is, my cup runs over. Okay, and I'm going to share it with others, the cup of God's blessings. The last thing is this last verse. Uh, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord. How long? How long? Forever, right, okay, good. Uh, two things here, the house of the Lord forever. Uh, some people say, well, Jesus has gone to prepare a place for me in heaven. Well, that's, another person said, well, that's the second floor. We're on the first floor now, that's the second floor, but we're gonna be in the same house, okay? We're gonna be with the Lord. We're in. His, within his protection, as he's the shepherd, we're in his house, and there's an upper floor. <coughs> Goodness and mercy, there's two ways to look at this. And I've I always heard, uh, I had an old brother in Christ, uh, he said, I know the names of my guardian angels. Goodness and mercy. They're the ones who are following me all the days of my life. Goodness and mercy. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Another brother says, Actually, those are sheepdogs. Goodness and mercy following me. And they're, they're following the flock, two sheepdogs, uh, following me all the days of my life. And those are, I, I think, brothers and sisters who, are, who help us stay on the straight and narrow, like sheepdogs, okay? Because we tend to wander. And I don't know if this my little talk this morning should be on wandering or on the beauty of our great shepherd. But the point is we do tend to wander and we do need sheepdogs. Or we do have you know, two guardian angels who happen to leave us just when we're going over the speed limit. Uh, they decide to stay back and we keep going, right? Charging ahead. Uh, but there's different ways of looking at that. But surely goodness and mercy, we can look back. To me, that's the blessing of old age. And let me not put it that way. It's the blessing of being a mature Christian. You've been brought through enough trials to know to have confidence in God. And no matter what you're going through, you know he will bring you through it because he loves you. That's a mature Christian. And that's, that's the beauty of that verse. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And that's David in his old age. I mean, he had a lot of issues too to face and ups and downs in his spiritual life but at the end he could say surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord how long forever amen let's close in prayer our father and God we thank you this morning for this beautiful beautiful psalm written by David's hand 
as he reflects on your goodness and mercy to him in his old age. We thank you, Father, that in Christ we've been found. We have new life in him, and now he's going to protect his, uh, his people, each of us, uh, protect us spiritually as we go through uh, the valleys of the shadow of death, Father, uh, which we don't want to go through, yet we know that we can do it, and he'll protect us from evil. Uh, we thank you, Lord, for such a Savior. He died to save us. He lives now at God's right hand to give us power over sin. And someday he's coming, and maybe soon he's coming to receive us to himself that will be away from the presence of sin. Give us strength for today. Give us a great hope for tomorrow. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you.